0: Well, this morning we're going to continue our process of preaching through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We are in chapter five, if you want to go ahead and head there. And this is one of those passages where um, expository preaching brings this out. I've I've told you I'm committed to doing expository preaching. What that means is taking up a book of the Bible um, that God lays on our hearts and going through that book verse by verse at a time. Chunk by chunk at a time, and going through every verse of the Bible or every verse of that book. And the reason why we do that is one, the Holy Spirit inspired the book. Why not let Him just go ahead and set the agenda for our services each week? Um, But it also keeps me, um, your pastor, from just skipping around and picking passages that I would want to preach versus uh, preaching the whole counsel of God's Word to you. This is one of those passages that I might have um, skipped over a little bit because the first part of this is a little tough. Um, it talks about some things that I might not uh, go to in my normal uh, preaching program. So I'm thankful for expository preaching because it pushes us as a church to embrace all of Scripture and, and stretches me um, to, to preach all of Scripture as well. As we come to this passage today, the title of my message is the, the, uh, Walking Like Our Father or Imitating Our Father. Uh, if you've ever been in the snow, um, I have some buddies that live in New York. They're getting hammered right now with snow. Um, I love snow. Uh, it's beautiful. It kind of makes everything nice and white and clean looking. Uh, but you can the thing with snow is you know when someone's been in your yard, right? Uh, you can tell. That was a cat, this was a kid, somebody's been here. Um, And as a kid, maybe you were playing with your friends and you saw one person run through the snow and you saw their footprints, the way they walked. And you went back through and you tried to put your feet exactly in their footprints. Maybe so that no one would know you're following them, but maybe just because you wanted to walk that same path as them. Well, this morning in this passage, we're gonna get three commands to walk a certain way. Um, Really, three ways to walk like our Heavenly Father. We're going to walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. Those are the three points of the sermon. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And all three of these are going to encourage us to be like our Heavenly Father, uh, to be like the one who has redeemed us and called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And we get to see how, uh, how we are to live now that, we've, um, now that we're here But remember, as we read through this passage, this passage is going to be similar to last week's passage Um, in that it says a lot of do this and don't do that. Now, if we isolated this passage, we might think, man, the the gospel is um, legalistic. Do this, don't do that, and God will love you. But remember, chapters 1, 2, and 3 have already set the backdrop of grace, the backdrop of grace, grace meaning we don't do anything to earn God's love for us. He loved us first. He redeemed us first. When we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. When we were in darkness, he brought us out into light. And so remember, these passages are talking about those who have experienced grace and are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And now since we are saved by grace, now we do work, right? So we don't want to get the cart before the horse uh, and get that out of line. These verses that we're about to read are speaking to someone who has been saved by grace through faith, and now they're trying to live out that grace in their life. So with that being said, let's read these verses. We're going to read all the way from uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 all the way down to verse 20. And verses uh, 18, 19, 20, those are going to make an appearance next week as well, but we're going to read all the way through them today. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It is improper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, we do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of these things that do not that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light therefore it says awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish So the first step in following our Lord and imitating our Father is to walk in love, to walk in love. That is to love like God loved. Love's a term that's confused in our day. We use it to describe anything that we have a slight affinity for. I love cheeseburgers. I love that dress. I love that show. I love soft pretzels with cheese from Sonic. We describe everything that we slightly like as love. And that kind of blows things out of proportion. But I think we all know that. We all understand that we don't really love those things. That's just a way of expressing it. But love is confused in our culture. But that's not the kind of love that God is calling us to. God is calling us to a love that is like Christ's. A love that is like Christ's. We're to love in the way that Christ loved us. A fuller, a deeper way of love. And in this passage... Paul points to Christ's ultimate expression of his love, which was his death on the cross. Verses 1 and 2 call us to uh, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, the kind of love that Christ shows is self-sacrificial love. Love is self-sacrificial. To be sure, Christ's death, first and foremost, is a payment for our sin, a payment for the penalty of sin. But it's more than just a payment or or it's also not just a payment. It's an example. It's an example of how we are to love. First and foremost, it pays for our sins. That's why it says that it's a fragrant offering. It's kind of an Old Testament allusion to say the burnt offerings that they would offer in the Old Testament. If those were accepted, they were, those were called a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And as you read that in Christ. Sacrifice for you is described as a pleasing aroma, a fragrant offering. That means God saw that sacrifice for your sin and accepted it. Paid in full. Done. Your sin is paid for by Christ's death on the cross. And that's something you can be really thankful for this morning. Um, I didn't hear any amens for Christ dying for our sins. Let's get an amen for Christ dying for our sins. Amen. But not only did he die and pay for our sins, he also set an example for us. We're to find that footstep in the snow and try to step in it, as we saw. We're to live in love, in self-sacrificial love. Christ's love for us compelled him to give himself up for us. His love for us compelled him to give himself up for us, and we're called to that kind of love. Christ loved the unlovable, those who nobody else wanted to be around. He loved those who would never love him back. He loved those who couldn't really give appropriate thank yous back to him. He loved those who wouldn't give him social status because he spent time with them. He stepped out of the ultimate comfort zone, which is heaven, to experience the ultimate discomfort, which was the cross. He experienced shame, betrayal, forsakenness. He was spat upon and nailed to the cross for you and for me. Not for his own benefits, but for our benefit. Self-sacrificial, selfless, ultimate selfless love. And we're called to live like that. A high standard, a really high standard, if we're honest. As we hear that and think, that's the standard I'm supposed to live to. Uh, I'm not going to pass this test. Um, if, if, if this was a test, the grade would be too high for us to reach. But know this, as we get down to the end, we're going to see that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like a, a hand fills the glove and that glove does whatever that hand wants it to do. In the same way, we're filled with the spirit of God that gives us the ability to have this kind of love. It gives us the ability to say no to self, which is a really hard thing to do. But it gives us the ability to say no to self. And we get that um, um, that motivation to love others by looking to that cross, by looking to what Christ did for us. As he laid down his life and experienced all the things I mentioned and more, our experience of loving the unlovable will never compare to what Christ did to love the unlovable. So if he experienced this much discomfort, we experience this much discomfort in our love, surely we can press through. Surely we can make it through. And we make the commitment to love even though we might not be appreciated for the love that we give to others. That's a really hard commitment to make, to say, I'm gonna love somebody that might not love me back. I'm gonna love somebody um, and to where it's not going to benefit me back. But James says this in the book of James. He says, don't show favoritism. Uh, don't give a seat to the, to the, to the high ranking officials and kick the poor guy out. He says, don't show favoritism. Why would somebody show favoritism? Well, they want to show love to the guy that's going to give them something back. They don't want to show love to the guy that's not going to be able to give them anything back. And that's not the kind of love that we're called to love with. We're called to love those who cannot pay us back, who won't give us social status with their thank yous, um, who won't post online that we've done something nice for them. Um, that's not why we love. We love self-sacrificially, sacrificial self uh, not in the hopes of getting something in return. One commentary I read gave a story about Amy Carmichael. Um, she was a missionary in India, uh, she helped women who were into forced prostitution, helped them get out of that. Um, she founded an organization that provided home for thousands of children. And she died in India in 1951. She was 83 when she died. She died in India as a missionary. And before she died, she'd asked that no one put a, a stone over her grave that she might be forgotten. And those who loved her most actually put a bird bath over her grave. And with the inscription, "Ama." In, in Hindi, which means mother. And she once said this. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I think that's an example of the kind of love that we're called to love with. A love that is, compels us to love other people. Just as Christ laid down his life selflessly, self-sacrificially, we do the same. May we be people who love people. And, and the kind of love that we have is... In a sense, fragrant, like Christ's love for us, like his death was for us. So as we imitate our father, we first and foremost walk in love. But second, we walk in light. We walk in light. And now Paul goes from speaking of Christ's sacrifice for us, the ultimate picture of selflessness, to speaking of sin, which is the ultimate picture of selfishness. He goes on to say, um, in verse, verses three through uh, three and four, he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, uh, foolish talk, crude joking, um, all of these things, filthiness. And he says these things are not befitting of a Christian, one who is a child of the light. So love is self-sacrificing, but sin is self-serving. Sin in all of its forms only seeks to serve itself. Uh, one rapper that I uh, like to listen to said, "All sins got I in the middle of it. All sin has I in the middle of it. S I N, right? It's a little play on words, but nothing could be further from the truth. Every sin that we commit, ultimately at its core, is pride, is the letter I, its selfishness. And Paul actually points to sexual sin as a particularly." Graphic example of what it means to be selfish in our sin. All sexual sin is selfish in its nature. It starts off this passage, this section, by using this term uh, "pornêa," sexual immorality. This is a general term um, for just all kinds of sexual sin, inappropriateness. Um, it would include things like adultery, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, viewing pornography, sexual abuse—all these things and other things that would be encompassed by this term. It's where we get the the word for pornography. And see, sexual sin, as you can hear in all those sins, is self loving. It's self loving. It's self. It has self in the it, at at its core, at its at its central uh, desire is self. And Paul says, if you're a Christian. These kind of things should not mark your life because they are an example, uh, 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 the the opposite example of what it means to love others. Sexual sin loves self. It only seeks to gratify itself. And it's interesting what Paul pits against these things. Did you notice it? He said sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, crude joking, foolish talk, filthiness should not, those are out of place for, for Christians. Instead, what does he replace it with? Thankfulness. Is that weird to you that that would be the opposite of those things? You might think replace impurity with purity. Replace immorality with morality, right? But he says replace those things with thanksgiving. Because I think similar, really close to the center of sin um, is, is I, self-pride, but it's also unthankfulness, Think about Eve in the garden. Uh, She had access, Adam and Eve in the garden. They had access to every tree, uh, everything that was good for them, access to everything. But God said, there's one tree that's going to teach you that I'm still the ruler of everything. Don't eat from that tree. And what did she do? What did Adam and Eve do? They said, I'm not thankful for all this. I want the one thing I don't have. Had they been thankful for what God had given them, they wouldn't have fallen to that temptation of self. Because what did Satan promise? Hey, God, God, God's holding something back from you. He, did, he doesn't want you to eat from that because if you do, you'll be like him. Which the irony was they were already like him, right? Made in his image. But that unthankfulness in their heart for the things that God had blessed them with led them to gratify, gratify their sinful nature. And we do the same thing. If we're not thankful for the things we have, we'll end up desiring the things that we don't need. If we're not thankful for the things God has given us, we'll desire those things in our life that we do not need. And to speak of in this realm that, that Paul's speaking of, for an example, if a man or woman is thankful for the spouse that God has given them, why would they ever have an affair? Right? You can see how sexual immorality is 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 the complete opposite of being thankful for what God has given us as we think of our lives as Christians, our lives should not be marked by sexual immorality or filthy talk. And Paul says that people's people's lives who are marked by these things will not enter the kingdom of of Christ. They won't inherit that. Let's be clear about what that means. That doesn't mean that if you have sexual sin in your past, that you cannot be a Christian. That's not what it's saying. Also... If you have sexual sin in your past, that doesn't mean that you're a lesser Christian than those who don't have sexual sin in their past, which would probably be a small minority anyway. What it means is that if your life is continually marked by these sins, willingly marked by these sins, you're bearing evidence that you are not a Christian. That's what Paul's saying. Not that if you have it in your past and you've been forgiven and you've gone away from that, but if you're continually and willingly engaging in these things, Paul's saying that's not how Christians walk. That's not how Christians live. We live differently. In verse seven, it says, don't become partners with them. Or actually verse eight, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. It doesn't say you were in darkness. Now you're in light. He says you were darkness and you are light. Why is it important that we live differently? It's because we are the light of the world. Christ describes himself as that in John eight, but he also describes you as that in Matthew five. He said, you are the light of the world. And Christian, the way you live, the way you walk uh, your daily life is important because those who are still in darkness need the light of your life to shine into theirs that they might know Christ. Did you see that's that's why Paul says we need to live differently. He says, don't participate in these things. Don't let them even be named among you. Then he gets down into verse 13. And he gives the reason. He says, but when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. Meaning if you're living your life as a light for Christ and you're interacting with non-believers, um, those, those believers, non-believers become visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This, The point of our purity is not that we would be able to Make ourselves look better than the people around us. It's not that we'd be able to say, look at my pure life and look at your impure life. No, the point of us living a pure life and living that out is that other people might become Christians, that they might see the faultiness of sin and see the beauty of living in the light of Christ. So Christian, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you hang out with your family this Thursday, forget the politics, forget the sports, and tell them about how you live for Christ and show them um, your life. Not in such a way that you're saying, hey, look how great I am, but that, you would, that your life would look appealing to them. Um, just like when we come up here at five o'clock and there's a smorgasbord laid out and you guys see that food, you're gonna be like, I want some of that food. That's the way your life should look To non-believers like this guy, when work sucks, he is happy. And I don't know how it is Um, when his family is uh, when they have loss in their family or sicknesses come into their family. They push through with their heads up. Like, how do they do that? I mean, your life should be appealing to those who are around you. Again, not not that they would be judged. By you, but that they would know they're gonna be judged by their maker if they don't turn from that sin. So, Christians, if we're gonna walk like our Father, if we're gonna live like Him, we have to walk in love, self sacrificial love. Second, we have to walk as the light that's shining into the darkness. And third, we need to walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. Christians are called to have a particularly insightful view of life. The word wisdom. In the Old Testament is Hokma, Hokma, and it really is. It can also be translated as a skill. So when those those builders in the Old Testament who were called to um, build the tabernacle and to put it together, it talks about guys who were good at woodworking and and working with stones and fabrics. Uh, it says that they were they were wise. They they had Hokma, um, the ability to to use knowledge in such a way that you walk right in life. That's what wisdom is. Um, Wisdom is not knowing a bunch of stuff. Wisdom is knowing how to use what you already do know, or having instruction from the Lord. That's what wisdom is, and we're called to see life differently than the rest of the world. We're called to have wisdom, to be, um, as this verse says in, in, in verse 17, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As wise people, we understand what the will of the Lord is. This passage describes the the wise life as this. Um, First, it says, making the most of our time. It says, walk in wisdom, making the best use of the time, because these days are evil. These days are short. I don't have to tell you that it's really easy to waste time. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. I'm sure you have. It's easy to waste time to spend time doing things that will have no impact in our life, let alone impact in eternity. Um, How many times you young ones, if you have Facebook, um, you're scrolling through some kind of social media and you realize you're not even reading what you're passing. You're just scrolling just because this is like a habit for you to scroll on that, that phone. We just waste time there. Uh, we waste time having conversations about things that don't last. We um, we we can we have the ability to waste time. I have this thought sometimes in my mind. Um, 30, 34, almost 35, I'm halfway to 70. And I look back on my life and I think, what? how much money would I have if I never wasted one penny? Have you ever thought about that? How much money would I have if I never wasted one penny? If I never like you know, gave 50 cents to the quarter machine when I was a kid, or if I never bought that extra dollar cheeseburger from McDonald's, or I never did anything that, that was wasteful with my money, how much money would I have? Can you, have you ever thought about that? I'm, I've never had really high paying jobs. And I'd probably have a lot of money if I never wasted one penny. Um, I'd have a, have a good amount. And we can think about that with our, our time as well. What would happen in your life? If you never wasted a minute of your time. And I, I know that's, a, that's an idealistic way to think about it. But the point is this. What would happen if you never wasted your time? How much would you accomplish? How much, would you, uh, how much good could you bring about in the world if you never wasted a moment? The, the good that Paul is speaking of here is, hey, these days are evil. Don't waste your time. There are people in your sphere of influence that need to know about Christ, that need to know Jesus, that need to see you living out as light in this life. So as wise people, we don't waste our time. And we also know the will of the Lord, as it said. Um, we go on from there just to see these. Uh, I'm going to read through these last verses really quick because these are going to be in our next, um, our next sermon as well. But it talks about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, letting the Spirit lead us, addressing one another with hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks always for everything uh, to God our Father. That's how we walk as wise people, making the most of our time, knowing the will of the Lord, being filled with His Spirit that we might be thankful. And I, I find it interesting. Another reason I started off this sermon talking about expository preaching. Another reason why expository preaching is great, just taking up a book of the Bible, is because you have ironies like this. As you guys know, I, I, I didn't plan to preach this sermon this Sunday. It just happened. And this sermon happened to say talk about thanks, being thankful twice in it, um, in two, two portions of this passage. Ironic that it's Thanksgiving weekend, right? The weekend before Thanksgiving. So as we leave here, I want to give you a challenge. Um, we've talked about how Thanksgiving really falls into all of these places. Being thankful for what Christ has given for us, walking in love. Um, being thankful instead of um, seeking sexual immorality as we walk as light. And again, as we walk in wisdom, seeing the world and being thankful for the things God has given us in everything. So I want to challenge you um, this week from today, today's Today's Sunday. Mon- sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday that's five days i want you to take out a piece of paper each day or if you want to do it on your phone each day write something that you're thankful for just one thing and make a list from now till thursday i'm not even going to say from now until sunday go all the way just until thursday of things you can be thankful for and let those things fill your heart. Fill your heart for the things that you're thankful for. Make that list. Uh, if, if you want some accountability, share it with your spouse. Maybe compare the things that you are thankful for. Um, call a friend um, and talk to them, talk with them about it. But make that list, at least one thing every day that you're thankful for. If you want to maybe bring about some, some, uh, some buzz on social media, maybe post one thing on social media that you're thankful for every day between now and Thanksgiving, just to do that challenge, just to get you thinking through what can I be thankful for. Because being thankful for what Christ has done for you will help you love and walk in love. Being thankful for what God has given you will help you fight against sexual immorality. And being thankful for what God has given you uh, is a result of living a wise life that we're called to walk in. So walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom as we try to imitate God our Father. Let's pray.